Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, gentlemen, for that great singing tonight. Appreciated that song. If you can remember back to your school days and having to give an oral report or speech for class or however, you remember that sudden wave of relief after you finished it. <laughs> well, sometimes that happens to the preacher and then it's hard to get back up <laughs> to get that evening. <laughs> but uh, tr uh, so uh, trust the Lord will help us, but as I was saying before, just before I came over, I said to, to Trish, I said, maybe I'll preach short tonight, being a little bit weary and, and so forth. And Kelsey says, preach long. Daddy, preach long. So I don't know if it's because she's not going to be here or if one of you crossed her, but uh, <laughs> I trust that she's probably listening right now and she likes it when I mention her by name. Uh, so... I'm not planning to preach long, but I never do, so I'm not sure that's any help. <laughs> I do want to say how much we appreciate um, the kind words uh, about this morning. Uh, we were pretty nervous doing something a little different than what you all were used to, and I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I did find that I got myself in trouble. I did forget someone that, for which I was thankful for, a job that they do. And uh, so I want to publicly say how much I appreciate Dean being my pincushion. So <laughs> Dean made sure I heard about it afterwards that I forgot to mention that. So, um, so I want to make sure that all of you know how much I appreciate Dean. Uh, he's a good sport about it, isn't he? So we appreciate, we appreciate that. There him and, and that important role he plays. And if he didn't have that role, you might have it. So, so you might want to be thankful. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're a, a little bit humorous tonight, and I don't know if, if we'll continue to be or not, but we actually have uh, somewhat of a serious message. Um, perhaps, I, I don't intend to preach it as, as such, but... Perhaps maybe the most somber and serious message that can be preached in Scripture is found in the text, and um, I'm not feeling led of the Lord to preach it quite that way, but I believe that it, this text could be preached that way. Very serious uh, truth. In fact, in the Scripture, you'll find Paul telling the church at Thessalonica to be sober the seriousness of this uh, of his message. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is a continuation of the thought that we shared the last time together on uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians, the end of chapter 4, when we talked about those who uh, died in Christ. But you know, this is a continuation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, But of the times and seasons, brethren, Ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day, we are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. 
For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Father, we're so grateful for your help today. Thankful for your presence that we've sensed. Thankful that you are a wonderful Savior. And we ask that one more time that you'd help us to rightly divide the word of truth, that you would give us wisdom and direction, and Father, that you would speak one more time to your children. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Story goes that uh, a man dialed 911, and the operator sa- uh, said, hello, 911, what is your emergency? And he said, uh, I sa- he said, uh, my wife, she's, she's in labor, she's going to have a baby. And uh, she sa- the operator, she says, uh, is this her first child? He said, of course not. I'm her husband. A little bit of confusion in the anticipation and in the excitement. And I kind of imagine Jimmy probably will be a little calmer than that. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. But there's something about when a baby comes that is just exciting. Exp- especially when it's your first one and you have no idea what you're doing. It's time you get to the second and third and fourth, and if you have more than that, I mean, you kind of have an idea of how it's going to go. Sometimes it gets a little different, but usually, time you get through the first one, your nerves are settled down a little bit, except for when you're on the road and you're in a place where, where, where a lot of crashes take place and your wife says that, that she, her contractions are a minute apart, and that, that changes things up a little bit when it's not number one. But I remember in the preparation of that first baby, and we went, attended the classes, and you know they told us that we ought to have packed in preparation a bag, that we should not wait for the last minute when labor was upon her, to, to start packing. And uh, so we followed that advice. Well, more, I should say my wife followed that advice. She got her to-go bag. She had her, she had her things ready. She had it uh, handy so that we could get out the door. And, and uh, we were waiting in anticipation for when... We didn't know. We didn't. We didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. We chose not to know, but we were waiting for Dennis to show up. Paul uses as one of his illustrations of the day of the Lord as a woman who travails in in giving birth. Well, isn't that exciting? Well, that's exciting. Paul is is telling us a little bit about how different people are going to respond when the day of the Lord comes. And he says that for some people, 
they will be surprised on that day. They will be surprised. One of the interesting things about a thief is he doesn't let you know when he's coming. He doesn't say to you, you know, uh, on such and such a day, at such and such a time, I will be coming to rob your house. He doesn't do that because he doesn't want you to be ready. He doesn't want you to have the police there. He doesn't want you to have your gun trained on him. He is not interested in you being prepared for his coming. The funny thing about a baby coming is that you don't know the day or the hour in which that suddenly the surprise comes. Suddenly you find yourself in need of going to the hospital. You, you don't plan on it. You can't set your watch by it. When we had to go in for dentist, it was on Wednesday night right before church. I did not have time to find a replacement to speak for me. Thanks a lot, Dennis. <laughs> he didn't prepare us in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it was a, I believe it was two weeks before the doctor had said that, that he'd be coming, that we had to make a trip an hour away to the hospital. We weren't, while we were prepared, we weren't expecting him then. We thought we had time. And you know, I think there's a lot of people who believe they have time. They have time to get ready. They have time before the Lord returns. Someone said that, uh, and I don't know how they figure that, they, that they're going to be there at the right time, but they said that they plan on being at their mother's grave, and when the Lord comes, they're going to grab a hold of her mom's ankle and go up with her. I don't think it works that way. But even if you were there at the right time, the right moment, They think they have time to prepare. One of my loved ones insists to me that they are going to get ready on their deathbed when they've lived their life and they've sinned all their sinning and they've, they've had all the pleasures of this world that while they lay there in the hospital bed and knowing that their last has come, that they're going to get ready. We're not assured of a deathbed. I've prayed with people on their deathbed and and I'm thankful for those that have gotten in on their deathbeds. Thankful that God's grace extends even to those last few moments. But not all of us get those opportunities. I believe when the Lord comes back, some are going to be surprised. They're going to be caught unawares. The thief caught them when they were not looking. The, the baby came when they were least expecting for the baby to come. It was a surprise. Oh, that God would help us this morning or this evening as we, as we think about the day of the Lord, that we are ready. That we are ready. Paul doesn't tell us to wait for the day of the Lord. He says for us to be watching. Now, I suppose that some would, would uh, say, you know, there's not much difference between waiting and watching. But I suppose this, this, uh, this evening, if, if uh, we were under threat of attack, if one of our 
neighbors to the north or to the south decided that they were going to attack our country and, and those that were uh, placed on the border in preparation waiting for the enemy troops to cross over and for their, the battle to ensue. We would prefer for our, those that were there to be watching, not waiting. There's a difference. Waiting is passive. Waiting is miserable. If you don't believe me, go to an ER room and sit there for two hours while you're in pain. There's nothing quite as miserable as sitting in a waiting room at a doctor's office or in the ER. And as the time goes, waiting is passive, isn't it? But watching is active. Watching is active. You're alert. You're diligent. You're careful. And Paul tells us not to wait, but to be watching. I suppose most of you or all of you have heard of Pompeii, the great city of Rome that was covered by volcanic ash. And one of the neat things about it is that because of the ash coming so fast and so heavily that, that so much was preserved. And they were able to find people in attics and people in cellars and others that were hiding, people holding on to each other as this ash was falling on them and, and death was, was just moments away. And however they died, it was been preserved for thousands of years. And archaeologists and different ones have really appreciated the preservation and being able to see. But one of the things that's unique is that they went to, at the gate. And there they found a Roman soldier with his hand on his sword diligently in the midst of Danger in the midst of the ground trembling beneath him, but with all of, of the fury of that volcano, that soldier stood at his post, ready to defend his city. And for as long as that is preserved, that man, that soldier, is a testimony to a man who was watching not waiting. And for us, when we pass, there will be a legacy. There's a legacy, and I believe this is one of the great uh, hindrances to the church is so oftentimes, instead of watching, we've been waiting for the Lord's return. We've, been, we've not been busy about the Father's business. We've not, not been active in reaching out. We've not been concerned for others. And, and we've, we've become passive. We, we know the Lord's coming. And perhaps we're, we ourselves are ready. But we're just waiting. We're just waiting. I believe that some are going to be surprised. They thought they had, some had, thought they had more time to get ready. But I wonder if some thought they had more time to win others. And somehow it slipped through. Surprised. Some will be surprised. I think others are going to be thrilled. I hope to be among that number. Oh, what an exciting day that's got to be. 
the anticipation and, and the watching, the active waiting for the Lord to come back, and finally He's here. read a story about a preacher who, as a child, had a terrible motion sickness. 20 miles on the road, and he was vomiting. And he developed kind of a complex because of it, because anytime people would ride with him, the parents would apologize for their son's motion sickness, and he kind of felt badly about, about this motion sickness. But he said that his grandmother lived 100 miles away, and they'd get ready to go. And they'd get in the vehicle and he'd be sick, you know, from about 20 miles to the rest of the 80 miles. He would be sick. But he said, when we got to Grandma's and the vehicle stopped, he'd kick off his shoes and socks and he'd run around in, in the house and run around in the grass. And he said he forgot all about the trials and tribulations, all the pain and suffering that it took him to get to Grandma's was forgotten as soon as they pulled into Grandma's driveway and you know that I believe that's the way it's going to be for us some of us have had some affliction some of us have had some physical difficulties some of us have some disability some uh, pain some of us have gone through hard trials we've gone through situations that we wish we didn't have to go through and some of us have have lived uh, through some things that that really if we could have chosen we wouldn't have picked them for ourselves but i want you to know that when we get there to the other side when the day of the lord comes for those of us already, it's going to be a day we're going to kick our shoes and socks off and we're going to make uh, uh, we're going to run up and down the streets of gold. We're going to have ourselves a time. We're going to celebrate. We're not going to have to worry about all those things. It's going to be forgotten. They're going to be forgotten. It's part of my studies. This week I had to read a, a theology of disability. Doesn't that sound exciting? Aren't you uh, disappointed you didn't get to read that book? <laughs> but in it, this, this man's view, he, his, his theology, his belief is that when people with disabilities get to heaven, that when they get there, they'll still have them. And he believes this because our, our disabilities are a part of our identity. But you know, I, I just couldn't agree with him. I just couldn't agree with him. Because every person who asked of Jesus for a healing while he was on earth received it. And I just, he says that, he said that there'd be no stigma. There, there, the, the reason disabilities are so bad is because of the stigma that's on him. But, but to be honest, I just can't imagine Fanny Crosby saying, you know, I, I've, I've, I've written a whole bunch of hymns about seeing my Savior's face, but, but now that I'm here, I just don't care to. I just can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine someone who's deaf and has never heard, never heard a, 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 a song, never, never heard their, their loved one's voice. I just can't imagine them getting to heaven and saying, you know, I don't care to hear Jesus call my name. I just, I just don't care to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I just expected that that's just not the way it's going to be. I believe that when we cross the line of worlds, 
that all those things are going to be left behind. The wheelchairs and the, and the crutches and, uh, and the medicines and, and the, the Bengay and all that stuff is going to be left behind. I believe in that day. We're not going to have, we're not going to need seeing eye dogs <laughs> or hearing aids or any of those things that we've had to use to try to help us to, to get through this life. I believe when God touches his children, he touches them completely and he makes them whole. I still feel that way. And if I get over there and I find out different, well, I just want you to know I just believe God does all things well. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I just know my God does all things well. And when we get to heaven, we will not be disappointed. We won't be disappointed. I don't know what it's all going to be like. I, I have this suspicion that, you know, we, you know we, we read John, we read Revelation, but John tells us about his view of heaven. And I almost wonder if some of us won't say to John, John, you didn't, you didn't do a very good job. You didn't, really de- you didn't really describe it very well. This is so much better than what you ever wrote down. And I think John will say to us, I did my best. <laughs> there's, no, there's no words for this, is there? What would you have written? I believe with all my heart when we cross the line of worlds that we're going to be thrilled. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to say, is that all? (laughs) Is this it? (laughs) You mean I went through all these trials and tribulations for this? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I believe when we get there, we're going to say my imagination of heaven was terrible in comparison to how awesome this is. You know, people tell jokes about, you know, the, and, and, and they try to describe it and they talk about, you know, all you can eat food that you don't get fat on. And, and, and that sounds real, real appealing to me. And, you know, they, they talk about, you know, uh, great heavenly golf courses with no green fees, Alex. <laughs> And you know, people have these imaginations, but you know, whether those things are there or not, I think really when we get there, we're going to say, you know, my imaginations were just silly. I just didn't have even an idea of how amazing it would be. It can't enter into our small human brains. The smart of us, the smartest of us, the most, the most gifted with imagination among us has no ability to imagine what the Lord has prepared for us. That's what the scripture says and that's what I believe. You know, they aren't going to need any sun because the sun's going to be the light. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that day. When that day comes, we're going to be thrilled. Those of us that are ready, those of us that were watching and were sober, those of us that were of the day and not of the night, those of us who lived carefully, you know, folks, I know there's a lot of, I know there's a lot of people who wonder whether, why we live as carefully as we do and, and do we really have to live this careful? Folks, I'm going to tell you something. 
if some of the if, if they can make it uh, living uh, uh, like they do, that's fine. But but folks, I don't believe on that day that I'm going to say that I'm sorry that I lived so careful. I think when we cross the line of worlds and we see how much he's prepared for us, I think we're going to say, I'm so glad I lived as careful as I did. I wouldn't want to miss it. I wouldn't want to miss it. I'm not talking about legalism and making up stuff. I'm talking about just being careful. Amen. About be, saying we're sorry, even maybe when it wasn't our fault. Because we just wanted to make sure there was nothing between us. I'm talking about maybe, you know, we don't do certain things that other Christians can do because, you know, it just doesn't settle right in our spirit. There's just something that concerns us about it. That atmosphere or that, uh, the people that do those things, uh, you're just a little bit concerned. And you don't want something that will draw your heart away. And maybe it's not a conviction. Maybe it's not even in a personal conviction. It's just you being careful. And it's not something you'd preach or require of anyone else. It's just you just want to make it so bad. Folks, I hope that's the way it is. I hope you want to make it so bad. Because I think when we cross those line, that line of worlds... And we see all that he's prepared for us. I don't think there's going to be any regrets of how careful we lived. Now, I don't believe for a moment. I don't believe for a moment that, that our carefulness, our, I don't believe our, our, our deeds, I don't think our good works is what's going to get us to heaven. I don't believe that. But I do believe that we can, we can get careless and lose out and leak out. And I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose the fire. I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose my opportunity. We get one chance to make it. We get one chance. Some are going to be surprised. Some are going to be thrilled. But I have an expectation that Jesus is going to get excited. You know, I was thinking, you know, the Bible tells us that the church is his bride. And I was thinking about my wedding day. This year will be 17 years. Can you believe she's put up with me that long? But I was thinking about how we were, I was, I was sitting down in the basement. My wife's Family and her, they're all very traditional. I wasn't supposed to see her on the wedding day. They had me locked in a Sunday school room in the basement of a church. And uh, I don't know where my groomsmen all were. I was all alone in there. And I, and I knew that just across the, the hallway in another Sunday school room, there was my wife and her family, and they were over there singing, Row, Row, Row Your Boat. That's what my wife's family does for entertainment. And I could hear them singing over there, and I knew that it was partly because of my wife's nerves and all those things that they were, they were doing their family thing. And, and I was sitting there, and finally they said, It's time. 
They came and got me, and I made my way out the door and into my car and left. No, they, you know, they, they had to bring me dragging, uh, kicking and screaming that I didn't want to go down the aisle. It wasn't the way it was. When they said it was time, I didn't waste time. I didn't waste time. I did what I was supposed to do, went through all the stuff that I was supposed to do. I don't remember all the details, but, you know, I stood there and, and the people moved where they were supposed to go. And, and then they had that thing you had to pull out, you know, so she could walk on it and the flowers can go on it and all that crazy stuff. I just wanted to get married. I don't know about all this pomp and circumstance stuff. When I go to a wedding, let's just do it, you know, five minutes. But we got in there, and there was anticipation. Now, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord knows now when the day of the Lord is. He said while he was on earth that he, even he didn't know. And so I don't know if, if now that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, if he knows or not. But let's just pretend he doesn't. Let's just pretend he doesn't. And he's getting antsy. Maybe he does know, and maybe it's getting close, and maybe he's getting antsy. And maybe, so to speak, he's checking his watch. It's almost time. It's almost time. Is it time yet, Dad? Is it to yet time yet? No, son, just a little longer. Just a little longer. I can just kind of imagine, he's kind of, if he's like me at all, and we're made in his image, kind of shifting around, you know. Maybe he's getting up and pacing the front like I am now. Just pacing. The Lord says, you know, son, uh, you're going to wear a hole in, there, in the streets of gold there. <laughs> you're just pacing so much. He says, Dad, I just can't wait. I'm going to get my bride soon. I'm going to get my bride soon. I'm just can't, I just can't wait. I just can't hardly wait. She's a beautiful bride without spot or wrinkle, Dad. I've been waiting an awful long time for this. Dad, I paid the bride price. I suffered without the gate for their sanctification. I spread my blood for the, for, so that they could, so that I could purchase them and redeem them. Dad, I paid the bride price. I'm just waiting to take ownership of my bride. I'm ready to take possession, pacing backwards and forth. I can't imagine this evening. The father finally looks over at his son and says, "Son, go get your bride." You tell me there's not a shout of the Lord that was talked about in that previous chapter. I can imagine Jesus is going to go, Woo! I've been waiting 2,000 years for this. Amen. And the angels are going to grab a hold of their trumpets and the angels are going to shout, This is time for the wedding. It's been a long time coming. It's been a long time coming. 
I believe with all my heart there's a reason why you hear the voice, the shout of the Lord. As he's been waiting in anticipation for you. He's been waiting in anticipation for the time when he can hold you in his arms. And he can say, my bride, you're finally home. You're finally home. I purchased you my own blood. I've paid the bride price. And now you're mine. You're mine. For time and for eternity. To be molested by the enemy no more. To be harassed by the host of hell no more. To be bothered by our physical afflictions and, and, and our tears no more. All that preparation that you had and I had was worth it. Was worth it. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that day. But let's be watching. Let's be diligent and sober and careful. Because we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. Whatever the price of heaven, it'll be cheap. I don't know how many times I've heard heaven will be cheap at any price. I don't know how many times I've heard it. It's probably cliche by now, but I want you to know I believe it still. I believe it still. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen.